Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thank you, Billy. And we do appreciate folks being along with us today on another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. And our special guest host today is a former state Senator A.J. Griffin. She's on the road to rural prosperity at 23rd and Lincoln at our Oklahoma State Capitol with Senator Kim David, the majority floor leader for the state of Oklahoma. And of course, when A.J. is hosting, it's all about rural health care. And it's a great conversation that you're going to enjoy between A.J. and Senator Kim David. Today, we're being powered by the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma. They're the oldest and largest oil and natural gas trade association in our state, and they represent every segment of oil and natural gas, allowing the industry to speak with one voice when advocating for the interests of this great industry. We're going to get things started today with A.J. and Senator Kim David in just a few moments. The Petroleum Alliance represents every segment of the oil and natural gas industry, speaking with one voice when advocating for the interest of its members, landowner partners, and employees. Our mission is to enhance Oklahoma's economy and every segment of the energy industry. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. So welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm A.J. Griffin hosting, and as you know, whenever I host, we're discussing the topics of rural health care in Oklahoma. I'm very pleased to have with us today Senator Kim David, the Majority Floor Leader of the Oklahoma Senate, and my friend, Glenn. Kim, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. It's great to see you, AJ. Well, you know, you and I have talked over the years a lot about this particular topic, rural health care. We both serve from rural districts, and, you know, you're from Wagner County, from the community of Porter, so you know just a little bit about rural Oklahoma and your district. Tell us a little bit about your district and how you spent the last several years working on this issue. Well, thank you for the question. Uh, my district is a rural district. I have parts of five counties. So I have um, the major portion of Wagner County, um, and it's the more rural side. And I have a little bit of Broken Arrow and Tulsa County in there, so I get a little bit of urban in, but just kind of a taste. Um, and then I go further south. I go down into um, Muskogee County, all the way down to McIntosh County on, on the west side. I have go out to Fort Gibson, then in Cherokee County. I go all the way to the city limits of Tahlequah, and I've got some of Mays County. I have a lot of small towns, and I have a lot of rural issues. What do you, and what do you see in particular when we talk about health care in rural Oklahoma, and you're hearing from constituents all the time about the challenges that they're, they're facing and with their families and trying to meet their needs. What are some typical problems that you see with your constituency? You know, I, and I'm so glad you asked that because um, it is – you know, rural Oklahoma is a different animal when it comes to health care because it's generational. And that's what I see in my district. I see generations of people who, who are not used to using the health care system. You could put a doctor on every corner, and that doesn't mean they're going to go. Um, they, they're just not real trusting. 
It takes a while to build up that trust, and they have to get to know somebody. It's, it's relationships. So they're very comfortable in just using the emergency room for their primary care when they get really sick because that way nobody really bothers them, and they don't have to, you know, they can just kind of walk in, get their medicine, and walk back out, and then they're done. But there's no continuum of care. And that's the way it's been for generations. Now, my FQHCs, which is my federally qualified health care centers, have just done a fabulous job. So tell us a little bit more about an FQHC. How many of them do you have in your district? How many do we have across Oklahoma? Oh, I have Oklahoma? quite a few now. Um, I, have, I have a group that has um, an office in Porter um, and a couple of offices in, in Muskogee and then one in Coweta, and they're looking at opening one in Wagner, the town of Wagner. Then I've got one in Cherokee County that's in Holbert, and then they go on into Tahlequah. And... Those two groups that own those FQHCs are, are, like I said, the outreach has been great. I do everything I can to steer my constituents to to those clinics um, because they, they do a really good job of putting those people at ease and getting them in and getting them used to coming, coming to the doctor. There's still some things, some social determinants um, that they're not able to address. But overall, you know, they are getting those people used to coming to the doctor's office and getting comfortable with it. So those are federally qualified health mm-hmm. centers. So they're health clinics located in, in primarily fairly rural. remote well, rural areas. Well, you know, we, have, we do. We have some in Tulsa and Oklahoma City that, that cater to the underserved populations here. Uh, I'm more familiar with what goes on in rural Oklahoma because that's my district. They, they're mostly Medicaid, and they have some Medicare. They do take private insurance. I go to my FQHC because I want to support my FQHC and my doc that's out there and, and the people that work in the clinic. So all my family goes, um, and I tell all my friends they need to go <laughs> because, you know, it helps with that payer mix in, in supporting those clinics and to help them grow. But it, for the population currently that's uninsured, they get to pay on a sliding scale. They do have some skin in the game, but it's I mean, it's minimal on what they have to pay. So people sounds are a little bit like the doc. Sounds a little bit like good old fashioned um, yeah. small town healthcare. It is. It, it is. is. You pay. I mean, there are times if, if you can't pay, you, they don't push the issue. You're, they still see you. Um, so yeah, it is. So definitely meeting a need in some mm-hmm. of the rural areas of the state. But you use the word continuum, and then you use the words. Social determinants of health. <laughs> now, you and I have had some of these conversations, but I want to make sure that the people listening to the podcast understand when you say a continuum of health care. Yes. Senator David, what, are, what exactly are you talking about there? Oh, you know, what, I, what it's really important when you're going, when you're looking to get better health outcomes is, first of all, you have that doctor that you can go see for preventative care. So hopefully once a year you can, you can go in even... Even you know, I don't like to go to the doctor. I'm one of the worst. But I try to go in every year, get my physical, get my blood work done, just so my doctor can see if there's anything looming that needs to be addressed. Also, if I have an episode of, of bad health and I get sick, then I have a follow-up visit where that doctor's making sure that the medication I've been on and the treatment program I was put on is working and if there's anything else that we need to do to get me healthy and to keep me healthy, that's what you don't get with the emergency room visits where you're, you're using that as your primary care. So no one's following up. Well, and you don't really have that partnership with your you physician don't. to treat right. you. So in that continuum of care can, you know, ideally carry on all throughout the lifespan if you're, if you're lucky and you're living Absolutely. in the same community. Absolutely. So you also use social determinants of health. 
And we know that that part of the reason why rural Oklahoma just doesn't do very well in health. We have high incidence of diabetes and obesity, um, but but and all that comes along with those things. Mm-hmm. When you talk about those social determinants of health, how can a comprehensive healthcare structure and having these clinics available in small communities, how can that help with that? You know, um, we need our healthcare system to be able to to treat the whole patient. Um, if the patient's not making their appointments, why are they not making their appointments? It's their car didn't start. They don't have a car. Um, some of them, you know, want, some families only have one car, and somebody's having to use it for work, and and then can't catch a ride with somebody. So sometimes it's just as easy as making sure they have a ride to the doctor's office. Whether they're getting their scripts filled, is there a reason why they're not? Did they not pick them up? Can they afford them? Um, so we, we try to take care of the payment side, through insurance or through a program, but we're not making sure that they're being delivered to the patient and then that the patient's taking them. Also, is a, is a patient ending up in the emergency room in the summer because they don't have an air conditioner? Do we need to, do we need to get a window unit installed? Believe me, it is, it is less expensive to install a window unit in someone's home than to have them go to the emergency room for heat exhaustion. So those are simple social determinant, determinants, but they're, they're important are they are they getting food? Do they need meals delivered? Um, do they need home health care? Do they need someone dropping in to, to making to make sure, you know, that they're taking their meds and that they're doing good and and they're eating? Um, those are the types of things that we need to make sure are kind of a package deal for our people, and especially in rural Oklahoma, where where the doctor and the pharmacy could be fifteen miles away. You know, we've heard over the years many times that the reason why we have such poor outcomes in in the rural area is just due to the fact that we haven't expended medicaid coverage and so we have people who are uncovered but it makes it sound like that it's a lot broader it's it's a lot more than that 80 percent i mean from everything i've read and researched 80 percent of our health is based on those social determinants generationally are we eating well um do we get up in the morning and do we exercise or do we smoke do we drink those, those things are generational, and, in, and until you really get someone stepping in and talking to an individual about, look, if, if we can just start watching what you eat, and if we can start addressing those issues to get you healthy, diabetes is huge in rural Oklahoma. You know, we have a lot of people, families, you know, like I said, when it's generational, it's generational. You, you eat how you were raised. So trying to turn that ship is difficult. You could, like I said earlier, you could put a doctor on every corner, but until you start really addressing the social issues of what is behind poor health outcomes, then we will continue to fail. So one of the big jobs you've had here at the state capitol, maybe the biggest job, was the years you spent as appropriations chair. Those were. Oh, I got PTSD from that. <laughs> I, I understand. I, I, I call my P, I call my PTSD post Senate stress disorder. <laughs> Uh, post-traumatic Senate <laughs> disorder, actually, PTSD. And, and during that time, the, the big, there's a huge chunk of the money that the state spends each year is on health care yes. across many different agencies. Yes. So it, talk, talk to us a little bit about just the, the dollars, these bad health outcomes and social determinants in, the rural, in not just rural Oklahoma, but all but across all, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's all across what, Oklahoma. Does it, what does it mean to the average Oklahoma taxpayer? We, well, you know, when, when I first came into office, it astounded me that um, I, I was in the, I, I was 
immediately in the Committee for Health and Human Services on the subappropriation side. So I, I, I was put in charge of the budgets for those agencies. And when I started looking at um, how much we pay our providers, which was great, we had at that time, we had the highest rate in the nation for our providers. So the providers are the, the people. Those the, are the, docs, hospitals. Yes, those are the providers of health care. So we were paying the highest rate in the nation, and yet Oklahoma still continued to have the lowest health outcomes. So it just kind of became my mantra. Highest, highest payments, lowest health outcomes, which once again means you know, it doesn't matter how many doctors you have or how well you pay them. It's not going to bring those health outcomes up until you start addressing what's causing those health outcomes. And then whenever we hit the, the crisis, our budget crisis, and, and it became a struggle between education dollars and health care dollars, education's the top thing in our budget. Well, health care is the very second thing. So those two pieces of the pie swamp everything else. So... How do we start making sure that for the money that we're spending, we start getting better health outcomes? You know, the governor talks about we need to be the top 10 in the nation. Well, I am sick and tired of being at the bottom, and I've been at the bottom since I walked into this office in healthcare outcomes. And that's my district. I see the people in my district that are unhealthy. Their lifespans are shortened by it. Prosperity is shortened by it. We in Oklahoma cannot prosper without better health outcomes. And and it factors into education. Sounds like you're saying instead of talking about investing in health care, that we should shift and we should invest in actual health. Yes. Which isn't necessarily it. Health care yes. is one piece you, of that. You know, just problem. because of your passion, your passion on, <laughs> on the more human side of, of health, that when our, when our kids are in school and they're not in a safe place and they're not fed, you can't teach them. They can't learn anything because they are in survivor survival mode. Um, and, and believe me, I had many arguments with my superintendents <laughs> about this when it came to funding that we have to, you know, we have to protect that. I have to get that child where they can actually learn when they walk into the classroom. So a lot going on with rural health care, but there's been some good things that's happened over the last several years. You've accomplished some great things um, in your tenure here in, in the Oklahoma Senate. Talk about some of the, just the accomplishments that you're, you're proud of in this area. Um, you know, probably the, the biggest thing I'm, I'm proud of is the pay for success that we were able to get passed to help women who were looking at prison time. Because this, I mean, this just hits to the heart of the issue of social determinants also. When, when you have women who are headed to prison because they've, they've fallen into drugs and, and everything that comes with that, they, they have poor education. Um, they, nine times out of ten, they all have children. And these are women who have never, never thought they would have a hope of being successful in life. And because, we, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about this being generational. These are, these are women, for the most part, that come from families who, you know, they, they raise their children thinking that, well, this is as good as it gets. And I think that program, Pay for Success, the Women in Recovery in Tulsa, and what is the program here in Oklahoma City? I, Remerge. I, yes, thank Rem- you. Remerge. Remerge just program. my mind. I, I want to make sure I mention them, too. Those programs have, have done so much to turn the lives of those women around. 
and they did it by changing the social determinants of these women. They helped them get healthy and then helped them learn how to open a checking account, get jobs, keep those jobs. They did. They got the mental health. You have to wrap that mental health in with that also. That goes hand in hand. So they broke down all the barriers of those social determinants that also wrap into health. And previously, we've been very good about siloing every bit of our health care and treatment programs, as well as, you know, our prison programs. And until they can all work together, um, I mean, that's where you get your success is when they all start working together. So you're talking about breaking down barriers so that we do things differently and Mm -hmm. expect different outcomes. You're listening to Senator Kim David, the majority floor leader of the Oklahoma Senate. She's joining us this time on the road to rural prosperity as she and I discuss rural health care. We're going to take a little bit of break and we'll come back and resume our discussion of breaking down barriers, doing things differently and making Oklahoma a healthier state. The Petroleum Alliance represents every segment of the oil and natural gas industry, speaking with one voice when advocating for the interest of its members, landowner partners, and employees. Our mission is to enhance Oklahoma's economy and every segment of the energy industry. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Well, welcome back as we continue down the road to rural prosperity. Uh, Senator David, we're so glad you're here with us today, joined by Thank the you. majority floor leader of Oklahoma Senate. But let's take a little divergence there. You're the first woman to uh, hold the position, correct? I am. Th- and thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> With this being the anniversary of, of um, the Equal Rights Movement, right, the 100-year anniversary, I, I, lo- I think it's important that we point that out. Yes, I am the first one, sadly enough. I'm the first one. Yeah. <laughs> I, trust me, I, I definitely understand what you're saying, but you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. And we're setting up for, a, a, I think, what will be probably one of the better legislative sessions over the last probably decade. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. And it's gonna. it started with mm-hmm. a very big announcement. Of course, the governor very recently had his State of the State address, um, which was shortly followed a very important trip that he made to Washington, D.C., where the president and our joined by our, our governor, Kevin Stitt, made a great big announcement about health care that very few people actually understand. So I know you are one of those that understands yes. this. What did this big announcement about health care in the United States mean to the average Oklahoman? You know, AJ, we've been talking about how we need to change how we do health care here in Oklahoma to get better health outcomes. That opened the door to do it. And it's huge because CMS previously, it, they were part of the problem. Um, and anytime we wanted to change something, we had to go to them. It had to be approved. It, it would take six months and it may or may not be approved. Well, they basically opened the door and they said, look, these are all the things that we've approved for other states. So pick and choose what's best for your state. That's huge. What that means is that we in Oklahoma can tailor what's best for Oklahoma for the population, for our Medicaid population. 
Um, I, I know that there have been some great fears put out there about how this is going to shut down rural hospitals and, and hurt rural Oklahoma. That is the farthest thing from the truth. We currently have hospitals closing. In the, you know, in the, in, since I've been here, I believe we have lost 14 rural hospitals, not due to um, some type of, of coordinated care model that we're putting out there, but the, pay, the, pay, the fee for Fee for service. Fee for service. Thank you. I was <laughs> trying to get those words out there. That fee for service model right now is not working in rural Oklahoma. And when you have a greater per- percentage of the population being a Medicaid population, you have to protect those payer models when you're moving forward. So let's talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You mentioned CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicaid Services. Um, that's the federal agency that oversees the, the administration of the Medicaid program. Yes. So the Medicaid program is unique in that it's a partnership between states and the federal government. Federal government puts in part of the money states do. Because it could, includes that federal money, they get a yes. lot of say in how states do Absolutely. things. Absolutely. So you mentioned the, the, just mm-hmm. how we pay. So kind of describe how the Medicaid program works right now. It really hinges on people needing to be sick before hospitals get paid, correct? Right. It's it's very, well, it's, it's not geared towards better health outcomes. What it is is it's geared towards protecting providers in, in a way. So I, as a doctor or I, as a hospital, only make money if you're sick and you're walking through my door. So right now you currently see hospitals advertising, come to our emergency room you don't see advertising saying, we want to keep you out of the emergency room and we want to get you into your primary care provider so that the only people that come to us are, are those true medical emergencies. So, so you've got someone going to the emergency room for an ear infection instead of going to their primary care doc. What, what this payer model does is it incentivizes the, the payer to get the patient healthy. And as the patient gets healthier, we're paying higher rates. So those that shared savings, and, and I don't know if anybody paid any attention to those words, shared savings that the governor said in agreement with the federal government, but we get to keep that money and share those savings and we'll share them with our providers. And the way that works is, is if I get you healthier and you're only walking through my door you know, once every six months instead of once a week, I get paid a higher rate. So in other words, I get paid a flat rate for you, and the healthier you are, the better you are, and the, the more money I make. I can actually see more patients at a higher rate because I don't have the same people walking through my door in that revolving door. So we've all heard the old adage, you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're paying for people to visit emergency rooms yes. and to, um, to, to not manage to not manage their care, their chronic conditions. So that's right. This, this opens the door to doing things differently and allow, and the federal government has basically said to the States, create a program that works for your population. So how do you think that might change for a patient, what their health care system looks like? You know, I think the biggest thing that that's going to help, like, like the people in my district is they will now have, um, if we set this bottle up, right. Um, they should have a caseworker that helps them, first of all, integrate the, I mean, the, navigate the host system, whether they need to see a primary care and if they need to see a specialist, if they need some mental health treatment, um, if they need to go down and, and meet with the VA center to, to get a ramp put into their house. Um, it, it coordinates not only 
the healthcare provider with the patient, but the patient with those groups in their community that also help with those other social determinants. So you have that caseworker helping that one person lead, lead them through the system, get them set up. Um, and, and that's huge. When, when we're looking at the expansion population, this is a population that has, has not gone to the doctor for you know, forever. They've when, never set up that relationship. When you say the expansion population, you mean those individuals that we have in our state right now that are low income that really don't have anyone to help right. pay their health their health for yes. their healthcare. And and we are looking with the block grant that the governor has has made the agreement that we're going to move forward with, that population will now be folded in to the Medicaid population. And it is just so important that we get them that integrated health care, that we get them that caseworker that helps them navigate the system. They, they need that help. So for other taxpayers, for, for let's mm-hmm. say the, our taxpayer population that's not on Medicaid, they are paying their taxes, so they're paying for this program. Mm-hmm. What's the benefit to the taxpayer for us doing this differently? Doing this differently means as, as we start getting better health outcomes in Oklahoma, our state begins to prosper. That's how we get better education outcomes. That's how we get jobs moving in. And those people, as they get healthier, they move out of the government system and into jobs, and they move into a more stable lifestyle. And we, as a state, begin to prosper. And that's what this is all about. So it's about setting up a healthcare system that supports rural prosperity. Yes, rural <laughs> prosperity. And I'm all about that. I said as a rural legislator. And, and I want to go back to... Um, the hospitals in rural Oklahoma. This is a program that incentivizes those hospitals to stay open. We we have to have hospitals in rural Oklahoma. We have to be, be able to deliver babies in rural Oklahoma. We're currently shutting down hospitals that deliver babies in southeastern Oklahoma. It's We're about to lose our one last hospital that delivers babies. And our women will be going to Arkansas to have their babies delivered. Well, that's unacceptable. We need to be able to to help that hospital stay open. Those doors have got to stay open. And you do that by paying higher rates, and you start funneling that Medicaid population into those hospitals, and you do it through those higher payer rates. So I know that, that when the governor made his announcement, I think that the opposition and everything just immediately started. And we've heard absolutely there, there, there is a entire network that are mm-hmm. really afraid of doing things differently. They are. So if you could, what would you tell someone who hears from their hospital in, in their rural community that if we make this change, that they're going to lose their health care? <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> if, if people would start, stop you know, pulling their hair and screaming that, that this is going to be a disaster and just say, okay, it, over 40 other states have done this. I get insulted when people tell us, you know, Oklahoma tried a, a managed care model back in the 90s and it didn't and it failed, so we moved to fee-for-service. Well, I'm sorry, fee-for-service has failed us and continues to fail us. So I'm, I'm tired of that that worn out argument. Let's, let's come up with a model for Oklahoma. Let's bring in some experts from those other states. Let's look at how it's, how it's working in other states, where they have failed. Don't make those same mistakes. I think we're intelligent enough that we can all come together and figure out what's best for Oklahoma. Does that mean it's going to be perfect right out the gate? No. If, if my, if my rural providers, especially my rural hospitals will be part of the solution in making this work for them, 
then they'll, they'll ensure that it's going to work for them. They have to be at the table and they have to be a willing provider. That, that means they've got to be a willing participant in the whole, in the whole project. If they stand back and they just bring out their knives and try to chop it up and kill it, then once again, Oklahoma will continue to be last in the nation. Well, protecting the status quo doesn't seem an option. If I look at, if I look at this, it's because not. we are we're near the bottom mm-hmm. in all of the health outcome um, outcome indicators, especially in our rural communities, they're really really struggling. And this, what we now know about the way that the mind and the body work together, mm-hmm. um, that many of our our other bad statistics with substance abuse disorders, those types of things, it all goes together. So, kind of, Senator David, tell us. What would your vision for rural health care be if, if you had your magic wand, which we all always want, our magic wands. So get out your, uh, your magic wand and say, um, two years from now, what mm-hmm. will have changed? Well, hopefully, um, what I'm looking for is, is, is that care coordination model coming in that, like I said, we, we set up... Um, in the emergency room, you have that caseworker there that if someone comes in and they're not currently set up with a primary care provider, we immediately get them into the system. We get them set up. They, then that, that one caseworker makes sure that they make their appointment. I mean, you have to start with that, getting people enrolled, getting them into the system. It's going to take a little bit of time. Um, what I'd like to see is my healthcare providers meeting on a regular basis, kind of working out any of the kinks. I also want that caseworker, when they first touch that person coming into the emergency room, to realize that, okay, let's set you up with a primary care provider and let's get you some integrated services. Let's look at maybe getting you into green country mental health. Um, let's get you into, you know, do you have food? Um, do you have, you know, what do you have that you, or what do you don't have? Um, are your utilities on? I mean, that caseworker that's really integrating those services, and, and that's the first step. And I would like to see is finally have that type of program in so that in rural Oklahoma, my doctors are, prosper, are prospering, my hospital is prospering, and my people are prospering, and they're getting, they're getting healthier. Because like I said earlier, my, my schools will start doing better everyone will start being healthier and then it'd be nice uh, maybe those all those parks that we're putting in people will start using those jogging trails and we'll get healthy (laughs) well it sounds like the vision that you've cast for rural oklahoma um is very consistent with the way that you serve your constituency and i want to say always i always tell everybody that serves an office been there i know how hard it is and you Mm -hmm. are you are definitely appreciated for the time and commitment that you've made to the, the the people of northeastern oklahoma and i know they're grateful so one last thing let's just mm-hmm. just talk a little bit about i know in your family that there's been some special challenges in health so i know that you're yes. extremely passionate about this but it seems like the vision that you have for all of oklahoma is kind of what you do for your very own family yeah and um you know i know i know that you guys have 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 had some special challenges but it's important that people understand that that this passion you have is from a very special and personal place. Oh, absolutely. And and you're, you're talking about my grandson, Oliver, um, who's just amazing. Um, Oliver has spinal muscular atrophy. Um, so he has challenges and and I've, you know, what's, what's kind of, um, unique about this situation is God 
God puts us in a place where we need to be. And I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a woman of faith, and, and I'm really a firm believer of that. And and I had been fighting hard for the age blind and disabled for years, trying to get them into a care-coordinated model, because I, I feel like in Oklahoma we have failed them most of all in trying to get the services that they need, especially those wraparound services. And then um, two years ago, my grandson is diagnosed with SMA, um, which previously would have just been a, a, a death sentence. But because of major medical breakthroughs, um, he's, he's on Spinraza, which is, um, which is a drug that had just come out. Um, and he's doing really well on it. They've also got some gene therapy trials going out there. We, we are truly hopeful for a cure one day for, for SMA. But I tell you, that kind of brings up medical research and how that folds into this, too. Oklahoma is really, I mean, I, I think we're really invested in medical research, and we need to continue to be invested in that for, um, for well, for the challenges that you have in your family also, AJ, um, and MS, correct? Correct. Um, so those breakthroughs that are coming through are huge. And, uh, you know, we, we see legislation out there sometimes that tries to stop that progress. And I'm bound and determined to make sure that that legislation goes nowhere. And because of my family members, um, because of your family members, and I think we all have someone out there that we know and that we love and care about that benefits from that medical research that's going on and how important that is in Oklahoma. Well, I could definitely, I know that our listeners can tell how passionate you are, how passionate you are about healthcare and in rural Oklahoma, not only your district for your family, but for your constituents, but for the entire state. And that we see that the entire continuum of care mm-hmm. from research all mm-hmm. the way through end of life care is extremely important. And There'll be a lot of decisions made over the next year, this legislative session and change is always hard. It doesn't matter if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, what that change is about. So, but I know that, that our listeners heard from a very passionate and and compassionate leader here in Oklahoma. So thank you for your service and your leadership on healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. And I know that you are committed to ensuring that all of Oklahoma is on the road to prosperity, but especially Mm -hmm. uh, joining us on the road to rural prosperity Thanks again, Senator Kim David, Majority Floor Leader of the Oklahoma State Senate. And I'm A.J. Griffin. I've been your host today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, A.J. Former State Senator A.J. Griffith, our host today, as we talk about rural health care once again. And, of course, we say thanks to Oklahoma Senator Kim David for joining A.J. for this great conversation today about where we are in health care in the state of Oklahoma. Our conversation today, powered by the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma, we say thanks to those folks, and we say thanks to you for joining us today for another of our conversations as we travel the road to rural prosperity. We do invite you to check out some of our previous episodes, some of our previous conversations, starting with Governor Kevin Stitt at the beginning of our podcast series right through today. And we'll be back next week with another great conversation on the road to rural prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and oklahomafarmreport.com 
proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies.